Well, I want to welcome everybody here to the Grove this morning. My name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are here for the first time, if you were a guest of someone today, if you were here to see a third grader grab their Bible, or if you just kind of found your way in off of the street or from the neighborhood, we are so glad that you are with us today. We are wrapping up a series that we have been talking through for the last several weeks called Breathing Room. And to kind of wrap us up and to land the plane, I want to start us this morning with a type of spiritual inventory. This is something that I think kind of gets to the heart of what we've been talking about for the last several weeks, something I think will probably convict us and help us see where God is wanting to move and to work and to change in our hearts and our lives. And I need you to kind of use a show of hands um, when I ask you this next question. Now, the, the thing that we've been talking about over the last several weeks is this idea right here. This idea of breathing room. And what we have been saying about breathing room is that it is the space between our load and our limits. And in case you've missed the last couple of weeks or you have forgotten, I just want us to practice saying it all together because y'all were really quiet a second ago. And so I'm going to make sure everybody's awake this morning. So we're going to say this together. We're gonna, I'm going to read the word breathing room and then we're all going to say the definition together. Everybody understand? Yes, we're with me. Okay, here we go. Breathing room. The space between our load and our limits. One more time, y'all sound good. Breathing room, the space between our load and our limits. All right, here's the spiritual inventory question that I want you to show a hand of if this applies to you. How many of you have ever run out of gas? Yeah, a room full of us. High and proud, let me see, let me see, let me see if you've run out of gas before in your life. Yes, 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 okay. Here's the follow-up to this question. Raise your hands if you're the type of person who you start to consider filling up for gas when you get about half empty. Where are all of our saints and virtuous people this morning? Oh, good for you. Good for you. Teach us your ways. Half, half empty. Okay, who, who's a, a little more uh, dangerous and likes to wait till they're a, a quarter full? You three quarters empty, a quarter full. Let me see the hands. Yes, yes, okay, okay, I'm trying to be like you, I'm not always like you. Okay, now let me see the people who the check, indi- the check indicator light, the, the gas light, that's when you know I gotta go get gas. <laughs> and then let me see the rest of you who are like, I don't even begin counting until 20 miles past <laughs> the check indicator, where's my wife? There she is, I know you're in here somewhere, oh yeah. Now, the last one, this is just a thin slice of you. How many know exactly how many miles past when you're supposed to be out of gas that you actually have until you're truly out of gas, right? That five-mile buffer, the check, you know, the gas light comes on. You know that that means you've got 20 or 25 miles, and then you go that 20, 25 miles because you know you still actually have the magic five miles left. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm not just asking because I care about how you drive and the way that you fill up your car. I think there is an implication. My guess is we live similar to how we fill up with gas. I think my guess would be that perhaps the breathing room that we have in our lives matches how often we run out of gas, literally and figuratively. Yeah? Now, different question, but you don't have to show your hands this time, but how many of you ever just run out of gas in your life? Maybe it's not your whole life. Maybe it's just been a category of your life. Maybe you've run out of gas 
relationally, maybe you've run out of gas emotionally, maybe at work you've just kind of hit a wall and you're like, I don't, I'm out, I don't even know, I don't even know what to do. Maybe for you it's financially, you have run out of gas financially and all of the ways that you have tried to beg and borrow to kind of keep things afloat hasn't happened for you. That's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks, five weeks, however many weeks it's been, five weeks, this is week five, I I think. The reason we're talking about it, though, and the reason that we've kind of looked at the different categories is because uh, learning how to avoid running out of gas is not something that the world really teaches us. In fact, it encourages us to consume every last ounce of margin. And so to start us this morning, I thought I would talk us through, I think there are probably six, you can classify them however you want, I think there are probably six reasons why we run out of gas. Now, this is both true literally with your car, but I think it's also true in your life. So if you're a note taker, you can take notes. But here are my six reasons why we run out of gas. And you can kind of do the implications for your life and the categories. Reason number one, we don't start with the full tank. We don't start with the full tank. It's easy to run out of gas when you don't ever put a full tank in your car. Now, how many of you had that season as maybe a college student during your early 20s where you're like, I'm putting five bucks in every time. That's all I got. We're putting five bucks in. And so you put five bucks in and you know how far about five bucks will get you. And so you know that you don't actually have that far to go because you never fill all the way up until you go home and you have that week at home with your parents and your parent gives you the gas card. And you're like, finally, I can fill all the way up. Yeah, yeah. This is what happens in our life. For some of us, we are running on borrowed time. We never fully stop. We never fully refuel. We never rest and allow everything to catch back up. We stay in a place where we are always kind of a couple of miles before the indicator light comes on. And so, of course, we run out of gas because we never have that much fuel in the tank to begin with. That's number one. It's reason number one, because we never start out with a full tank. Reason number two, it's because we're too busy to stop and refuel, or we overestimate how quickly we'll be able to get all the things done in our life. We're really good at saying yes, we're really bad at saying no, and so we jump from commitment to commitment, 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 without stopping and pausing in between to refuel, and next thing we know, we forgot to go get gas, We didn't give ourselves margin of error. There's no breathing room baked into our life. And of course, we run out. The next one, number three. It's because we ignore our gauges and our indicator lights. This is one maybe that you've seen this coming for a while. You feel it in your body. You're not sleeping well at night. You're always tired, you're irritable, some of the symptoms that we looked at in week one. Maybe you see those financial statements coming in and that balance gets you know, smaller and smaller and smaller and you're now, you've now moved to interest-only payments and you're just trying to pay the minimal thing that you can pay and you see the credit balance or the balance that you're borrowing grow and grow and grow and grow. You see all the indicators, but you just don't really pay attention to them. You ignore them, you dismiss them, you think maybe if you don't think about them, they'll go away on their own. We don't pay attention to our gauges and indicator lights. This is another reason why we run out of gas. A fourth reason 
we run out of gas is because we accelerate or drive too fast. Now, does your car have that econo mode or I don't know what your car calls it, but it tells you when, if you're going too fast at a rate of speed, you know, kind of above whatever it is, the magic 55 or 60 miles an hour that's in the economy mode, or if you're accelerating really hard in your car, you know that that consumes fuel at a disproportionate rate than if you're like just chill and calm in your car. Same thing's true with our lives, right? So if you are just like hardlining all the time, go, 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 spin, 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 consume, 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 and there's never any space, if you never let off the throttle, if you pride yourself on being type A and hard charging and of all the things that you get done, but there's never the balance on the back end to take a day to rest or slow morning or just some space to recover and to recuperate, Eventually, you're going to run out of gas because you're using fuel at a disproportionate rate and an unsustainable rate to the way that our cars are designed, to the way that our bodies and our lives are designed. Dallas Willard says this about hurry, that pace and speed at which we live at. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then someone asked him in response to this statement, Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And they said, well, is there anything else I need to know about following Jesus? And he said, there is nothing else. Just this. How many of you have a Bible somewhere like these third graders do now? You've got a Bible somewhere. It's in a drawer. Maybe you've got several of them. Maybe they're holding some paper down on your desk. You know you need to pray more. You know you need to start adding some of these practices into your life. You know that you should probably spend a little bit of time in quiet and in silence. Maybe you had a practice for a minute. You were doing a gratitude journal or something. You have these rhythms in your life that you no longer do because there's never any time. It's always the first thing that goes, right? When you're rushing out the door, the kids aren't cooperating. What goes first? Well, I'll pray later, or I'll read my scripture later, or I'll do whatever it was I was going to do that anchors me, grounds me, centers me, gives me some breathing room in my life. I'll do that later. And, of course, later never comes. It's like that kind of that adage. I think I've shared this before, but if you don't have 20 minutes to pray, take 60. That's how we live. Rush, 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 rush. Makes me think of... Uh, that 90s country song by Alabama. You know that one? I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until I... I wanted the band to do that one time, but I didn't give them enough notice. So that's all you get from Alabama, and that might be the last time you ever hear me sing on this stage. <laughs> Unless you come to our rehearsals earlier in the mornings, and then no telling what happens. But we do this. We live this way. Speed through everything. Mashing the accelerator down. Rushing through life. And it exhausts us, takes its toll, and we run out of gas. Number five, the, la the next reason why we run out of gas is because we're overloaded. If you've ever pulled something on a trailer, if you've ever had a full car full of people or full of adults, if you ever pulled a boat or something behind your vehicle, you know it consumes fuel, similar to accelerating and driving really fast. It consumes and depletes fuel at a disproportionate rate. 
there are seasons in our lives where we are towing a lot of stuff behind us, where we are overloaded because of commitments or responsibilities or because of circumstances in our life. And when we do this, we have to recognize that we need to refuel more frequently than normal life, than those normal seasons. And the things that we tow, the things that load us down are not necessarily bad things. They're significant commitments that we make. They're responsibilities that we carry. There are relationships. You know that there are certain seasons where you just don't have the same capacity. I know we've got a lot of new parents here in the room this morning. You know that there was a, lot, a season of life before you had small children where you were like all of the energy in the world, right? And then you have small children and you're like, I have no energy left. Why? Because you're towing a bunch of kids behind you now, right? You have to refuel more frequently. You know you don't have the same breathing room, the same margin, because of the significance of the commitments and the responsibilities that you have in your life. If you're in the middle of some big business venture that is requiring extra effort and extra energy and extra hours, you don't have the same margin in every other category of your life. If you're over-consuming in one area, not necessarily for bad reasons, you recognize that there's, it depletes the fuel at a faster rate. And so those should be indicators to us. Red flags that, hey, this is not like normal time. We were in a different season and a different time, and so we have to respond and act differently. We need more fuel in our tanks than we typically do. And then the last one, and this is the one we're going to camp on for kind of the rest of our time, is number six. The reason we run out of gas is because we don't think the limits apply to us. Everybody else needs a Sabbath. Everybody else needs rest. Everybody else needs a day off or a vacation. Not us. We're smart. We're strong. We can work harder and work longer and get more done than everybody else in our life. The rules apply to everybody else but us. Now, this either comes through pride, because we have an overinflated sense of our own significance and importance, and abilities, or through ignorance, right? When you were a college student or a teenager and you first got your car, driving around, you're like, oh, no, no, I got more, I got more gas in the tank than what the fuel light says, than what the little fuel gauge tells me. The next thing you know, you're pulled over on the side of the road because your wheel locks up. You've never experienced that before. You know, the first time you run out of gas, you kind of panic because you didn't actually think that it was going to happen. It's either pride or ignorance that keeps us from believing the limits are real. The limits exist in our lives. And I know this is hard for us because in general, we are a people that love our freedoms. We love our autonomy. We love kind of the power of our own abilities. We love knowing that in so many categories of life, we have felt or been told are made to believe that we are exceptional and extraordinary and unique and special. And maybe that's true. But if everybody is extraordinary, then where are the ordinary people? Limits apply. Limits are real. And kind of the idea around breathing room 
is one that is anchored in limits. We focus on the rest of the definition, the one that I had you repeat. It says, breathing room is the space. This is the, that's the word we focus on so much in breathing room, the space between our load and our limits. And we focus on the word the space. But the only way that you know how much space you have is to know where your limits are, to know the load that you have in your life, and then your actual limitations. And we, we don't love that word limit. We don't like to live with limits. We don't like rules being placed upon us. We like our independence and autonomy. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We want to be the captains of our own ship and destiny. You know, this is kind of the spirit of, you know, kind of Western society. We love these ideas about we are free to build our life and our world as we want. Which means we're also the most susceptible to believing that the limits don't apply to us and that they won't impact us. But this concept of breathing room, I think it's an immutable law. It's one of those that if you don't observe it, you will eventually obey it, whether you like it or not. You will run into your own limitations at some point in your life. You will be surprised like you were when you were driving your car that first time you ran out of gas. The wheel locks up. You don't have control anymore. Steering stops, and your car just kind of grinds to a halt whether that's in your relationships, whether that's in your finances, whether that's in your own body and physiology. It will come for us all if we don't pay attention to our limits. And for many of us, limits feel punitive. They feel like rules, and rules have a stigma, and rules are bad. I don't know if you've ever played a board game. I I like playing board games, but the worst part of board games and the reason that I don't play any board games is to play the board game. What do you first have to do? You got to read the rules, right? That's the worst part. I don't know what the attrition rate is on reading the rules before you play a board game, but it's got to be astronomical. I mean, I think that's the biggest like obstacle. If you're in the board game industry here this morning, let me just tell you, if you can figure out a workaround to having to read the rule book before you begin to play, Because we don't like it. It's like, oh, this is boring. And because you haven't played, you don't really know why the rules matter. And so the rules feel arbitrary and punitive and restrictive. And you're like, oh, it's like you're wearing somebody else's clothing that's just like a couple sizes too small. We don't like rules. We don't like limits in our life. But I actually think instead of like board game rules, I think limits are like a really good referee. Hear me out on this. Because I know we also kind of like, boo, referees, let them play. <laughs> a great referee facilitates the game, right? I know we've got some coaches and some athletes and former athletes here this morning. A great referee makes the game flow more smoothly. Because you've all had the playground experience where there were no rules and you're in the middle of like, pick up soccer and then someone literally picks up the ball and starts running with it and you're like okay we can't like we can't live like this people you know if there are no rules if there's nothing to ground us in if there's no collective agreed upon way of living and operating in life then life just evolves into chaos but we've also seen the other side when there are too many rules and they don't make sense they feel arbitrary then they do become restrictive. And it's like, now we can't even play because everything has to be stopped and brought back and we have to do a restart or whatever it may be, depending on the game. There's too many penalties. This is why kind of the end of certain sporting events, 
like have lost all enjoyment and fun because there's so many stoppages because of all of the rules that are being enforced. It's like there's no free-flowing play. But a referee, a great referee, knows the balance, and it's like a dance. There's just enough rules to keep everything organized and moving, but not too many that it slows it down and is restrictive. And it's like the best of how the sport or the game or whatever it was was meant to be played. This is how limits work in our life. This is actually how God intended for limits to work in our lives. You see, y'all remember the story of the people of Israel. We've talked through this several times. There's a group of people, and they are in captivity and slavery in Egypt. This is a place where there are too many restrictions. There are too many rules. Life is hard and difficult and severe because they are suffering under the imposing of too many limitations in their life. They're slaves. They're made to work every day. There's no personal freedoms. There's no personal opportunities for enjoyment until God sends Moses to free the people of Israel. And he takes them out of captivity, out of Egypt, leads them to the promised land. And as they're getting ready to go to the promised land, God gives them what? He gives them rules. He's like, okay, before you kind of go into this new way, before you kind of become your own people, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a series of rules. And these rules, these limitations are going to be for your benefit. This is what he says to them. This comes out of Deuteronomy. He says, listen, Israel, the laws I declare to you today, you shall learn them and observe them diligently. These rules, these limitations, these restrictions on how you're supposed to live your life, they're actually really important that you pay attention to. And there's actually a finite number. There were 613 laws that God gave the people of Israel. We all know most of the 10 big ones, and then there's 603 others. And he goes on. This is why he gives them this. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. He's taking them from bondage into freedom. But that doesn't mean total freedom, because total freedom is chaos. It's like a pickup game without any rules or restrictions. It's too much. And sometimes we live this way, which is why we have to have these series like Breathing Room. Because we have to be reminded of the, of the importance of limits. Otherwise, we'll just do whatever feels good as much as we want for as long as we want until we blow our lives up, literally or figuratively. Like we just keep going, keep going, and then we end up running out of gas. So God says, listen, I'm trying to give you some rules to create life. Not a life of bondage like you came out of, but a life of freedom and of fullness and of joy. And this is the first thing that we know about the limits that God gives us. God gives us limits for our own well-being and good. This is the way that God communicates why the limits are important to the people of Israel. He says, you shall walk in all of the ways that your Lord, your God, commanded you. Why? That you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. When the people of Israel live according to the limits that God gives them, their life is at its fullest, its richest, its most abundant, so that they will live long in the land. And if you know kind of the story of what happens next, what happens next is they stop following the rules, and they don't live long in the land. And then they cry out to God for help, 
And God says, okay, follow the rules again. They start to follow the rules. They stop following the rules. And around and around and around it goes. This is true in our own life. There are seasons where we're disciplined and life is great. And then we fall out of those disciplines. And then life starts to get hard again. All good parents know this, right? Why do you, for the most part, when you're operating out of a place of health and love, parents, why do you tell your children, do this, don't do that? Why are there certain limits and rules in your house and in the world? Because you love them, because you care about them, because you want them to have great, wonderful lives. And there are certain things that you know that they don't know about life, such as don't touch the stove when mom or dad is cooking. Why? Because the stove is hot and it's going to burn them. It's not an arbitrary, punitive rule. It's to protect them from themselves sometimes. This is the same way that God is with us. It's easy to kind of think about the Bible as like this punitive rule book. When really it's a guide to the fullest, richest, most abundant life possible. Now, the next reason that God gives us limits is because those limits actually help us know God better. Think about the Sabbath for an example. As we participate in the Sabbath, as we honor the Sabbath, as we stop and rest, it leads to a place of recognition and of worship of all of the abundance that God has given us. We're kind of jostled out of the rhythm of thinking that we make our own world that we are the gods in our life when we recognize that there is so much around us that we are the beneficiaries and the recipients of, and that comes from God. And so we glorify and honor God in the stopping and doing, knowing that it's going to be okay for us to stop and to rest and refrain from doing because we don't have to be God. This is the same thing that God tells the people of Israel. Like It's important for you to follow these limits because this is how you get to know me better. And this is why it's important to teach your children these limits so that they can learn to get to know me better. This is why we give the Bibles to our third graders. Because in it is guidelines and instruction and limitations that help us come to know God. This is the way that God put it in Deuteronomy. Be careful to follow all of the law so your children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord as long as you live. And then the last reason that God gives us limits, the first is for our own well-being and good. The second is so that we can get to know God better. And then the last is that us following God's limits sets us apart so that others can come to know God better. They see the way that we live, and they recognize that there's a different character There's a different quality to it. This is the hardest part for us with some of these limits because we try to live them out in our own life and we realize that they're not reinforced by anywhere else in our society or in our friend groups. Nobody else is trying to do the things that we're doing to say no in the places where we're trying to say no and it feels isolating and lonely and you worry about being ostracized from your friends or from your peers or from the school group or from your buddies at work, wherever it may be. But God says, listen, you have to trust that when you live according to my limits, there will be a change and transformation in your life such of such a caliber that other people begin to notice. Hey, you never seem stressed about money. Why? Well, I, I have some breathing room in our finances. We prioritize the right things. 
We give first. We save second. We spend on the less, on, on the rest. Why do you do it that way? Because we think that God tells us this is the wisest way to live. You never seem stressed about work, or you always seem to be in a good mood, or you always seem to be whatever it may be. Why? Because I'm trying to do the best that we can to follow kind of the path that God's laid out for us. Because we actually think that that leads to the, to the most abundant kind of life. Because we all know there are all sorts of promises out there about ways that you can live and where that way leads to. But there's only one that really leads to like true life. In this life, richness, joy, peace, gratitude, self-control. Living within the limits that God gives us. This is the way that God puts it to the people of Israel. He says, if you faithfully obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, the Lord will establish you as a holy people. That word holy means set apart. Not accidentally or just kind of sequestered to the side. This means intentionally set apart for a purpose. On purpose and for a purpose, you are set apart. And that purpose is, and all of the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. That God is using and working through our lives so that other people begin to recognize a different way to live. Jesus takes this same concept. Maybe these words are more familiar to you. When he says this, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can you imagine what your life would look like six months from now if you started to apply some breathing room to all of the categories of your life? If you had breathing room on a weekly rhythm at home with your family, if you had breathing room in your relationships and you knew which ones that you were choosing to intentionally prioritize and invest in, if you had breathing room in your finances so that that wasn't always a constant source of stress and agitation in your life, if you were living within certain limitations that were self-imposed because you know that actually leads to a better way of life, Breathing room at the speed and the pace in which you live so that, yeah, you don't get as much done, but the stuff that you get done, you feel good about. And there's some of you left over at the end of the day for your family. Can you imagine what six months would look like if we begin to do this, if you begin to do this? Can you imagine what a year would look like if we all had been doing this for six months? The difference that we could collectively as a church make in our community in our places of employment, in our friend groups, at our kids' schools, in our social clubs. These are not like huge radical sell of your stuff and move to Africa type of, of things. It's starting to institute some limitations and learning to love limits, even when you don't really feel like it. Trusting that God loves us and cares about us and actually wants the best for us, not just to be punitive and not just to be controlling and restrictive. That's my hope. I hope it's your hope too, that we would all begin to recognize the value of breathing room. We'd all begin to live a richer, fuller life because of it. Friends, let me pray for our time together.
Gracious God, thank you for this morning and this opportunity to be reminded of the ways that you love us, especially through limitations. So God, help us to learn to love your limits and to learn to find the life that exists within them. God, help us to institute breathing room in all of the areas and the categories of our life. And so by doing so, may others see our deeds and be drawn into a deeper relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.